You're listening to The Gay Pro, where we empower gay business professionals from any industry to love who they are and love what they do. I'm your host, Omar Alexis Ochoa. Let's get into it. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Rose Bates. She is a London-based singer-songwriter whose single Daydreaming has been featured on radio stations all over the United Kingdom. Inspired by the work of artists like Lana Del Rey, Rose has worked with producers of Trey songs such as Jimmy Deere, and has an all-new single, Young God, which is now available on Spotify. Rose identifies as a lesbian and is passionate about using her music to empower other queer women to find their voice. Rose, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I know you're all the way over there in London, England. How's everything? Yes, it's weird. We've just uh, gone into lockdown, so it's very strange, but I guess it's the perfect time to knock out some new lyrics, so... There's positives to the situation. <laughs> I myself have been leveraging the lockdown as an opportunity to really just get started and a bunch of things I've been putting off. So yeah. that's one of the the positives. Yeah, it's the perfect time to get those things done that you've been putting off for months. <laughs> what are some of the things you've been working on while in, while in isolation or while in quarantine? Um, I think I've been using it as a time to network a lot. I love meeting people, mm-hmm. you know, on social media platforms. And um, since Young God has come out, people have, met, have been messaging me and getting in touch with me about wanting to work together. So it's a good time to actually focus on that and start new projects. So I love doing that sort of thing. And it's the kind of thing, if I was at my you know normal day job, I wouldn't really be able to do half as much. So yeah, that's, I think that's kind of been my main focus. Yeah, no, same here. Aside from getting a bunch of work done on the little side projects and things here and there, it's really been popping off in terms of social media. Like I have so much content coming out now on all my different little platforms. When it comes to social media and leveraging content creation as part of your content marketing mix, what is your go-to-market strategy? I think I'm still getting to the hang of actually speaking to people like on camera, like um, doing Mm -hmm. little kind of video story updates is something that I've just started doing and that I definitely want to get into because I think a lot of people see my photos and they see this sort of like demure like headshots and stuff and it's like it's so much more to me than just these like posy kind of looking serious photos and so I think Mm -hmm. actually speaking to people is a thing that I'm trying to get the hang of and actually interact with my audience because I realized before when I actually do videos you know once in a blue moon when I post a video it gets way more engagement because people see that I'm real and I'm moving and I have a Mm -hmm. personality and I smile and I think that's such a big part of it, just coming across as an authentic human being. Right. No, I totally agree. Getting comfortable, like being on camera is, is really an asset. I have a newfound appreciation for people who build their livelihoods off of video simply because for the podcast, I recently launched a a YouTube channel. Sitting down and talking to a camera is, is very hard. It's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah. It's like, I remember I did like a little kind of thank you video uh, when, you know, mm-hmm. my single had just come out to the blogs that were talking about it. And uh, people were saying, oh, my God, you know, you're talking. And I said it was so strange. And it was just even a 20-second video, and that was weird. So I can't imagine even, like, with you, you know, sitting down for, like, a good, say, half an hour and then editing it. Mm-hmm. It's such a strange feeling. <laughs> people build their whole livelihoods off of it. Like you say, it's definitely a skill that you've got right. to curate. So, yeah, it's really cool. 
Previously, you mentioned you were using this opportunity to really focus on projects that you don't really get the time to focus on during your day job. Can you tell me a bit about the work you do day to day? Yeah, so I work at, well, usually, uh, (laughs) pre-corona pandemic, I work Mm -hmm. at uh, a little wine bar uh, near my house about 20 minutes away. And um, I was pretty much raised in that sort of industry because my dad's in the wine and spirits industry. So I was that kid. Mm -hmm who would get taken to like dinner with my family and it would be like, you know, smell this wine. What does this smell like? What does that smell like? You know? Wow, fabulous. Yeah, I was sort of like raised in the industry and taught about how wine's made and how spirits are made. I mean, my dad would take me to distilleries, which was boring as hell for like a six-year-old to go to. (laughs) You know, I got that, that was my upbringing. It was a big part of it. So I think it's just a skill that I've always just had growing up. It's just something I learned about naturally. So um, working in, quite a leisurely like bar environment where a lot of it is just talking and educating customers you know it makes me happy Mm -hmm. I'm definitely I consider myself quite the extrovert so I think any job where I can actually be out and interacting with other human beings is amazing because a lot of music is sitting at home and networking on your laptop and being a bit of a hermit I guess (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, totally agree with that. When we last spoke, when we spoke uh, just before this interview, you were just in Los Angeles. How'd you like it? Yeah, I love it there. I think it has such, it gets so misjudged as a city. Um, I think so many people think it's just Hollywood and that's it. And what they don't realize Mm. is, is that Hollywood is just one tiny area of LA. You've got West Hollywood, you've got Beverly Hills, you've got Glendale, Malibu, downtown, you know, you've got so many different areas that stand for so many different energies and vibes. Mm-hmm. And um, I stay in uh, kind of between the border of Silver Lake and Los Feliz with um, family mm. friends of mine. And uh, it's my dad's best friend lives there. He's lived there for about 50 years now. He's in his 70s, but he's this wow. old school uh, film composer. So um, he's in the music industry, just the complete other side of it. And Mm -hmm. uh, so he did the music for, he did like uh, the composition for like Wayne's World and um, like Charmed, you know, that witch show, like he did Mm -hmm. all sort of stuff. So now he just hangs out there. And I think because of knowing someone and knowing kind of, I guess, a sort of local, um, he was Mm -hmm. able to show me like, this is where normal people hang out. You know what I mean? Like this is a more real everyday side to it that isn't portrayed in say the media. And, you know, he takes me to the restaurants where like, the LA locals eat and, you know, the farmer's markets and the normal kind of shops, you know, not the kind of touristy mm-hmm. location. So I think LA has this very genuine, actually quite humble vibe that I think doesn't get much coverage in the media at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. You know, I've been living here in Los Angeles for about a year now. I just hit a year uh, this past February. And one thing that I noticed about living in LA is that the people are a lot nicer than you'd expect in a big city. I think everyone's a lot more, I think a lot of people have a very kind of holistic, chilled, laid back view on life. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that kind of laid back energy, people are more open to speaking to strangers, making new friends at even like a park or just, you know, inviting someone around to your house for a cup of tea or whatever. And I love that energy. I love it. It's great. And it's really different to London where everyone's so introverted so much of the time. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I love my city, but it's definitely a little more like, it reminds me more so of New York, London. I feel like London Mm. is very similar in the way that, you know, it's very much like big city, a lot of, you know, concrete skyscrapers everywhere. And you you know what I mean? And 
and uh, you know very business minded very like keep your head down get on with your stuff whether it's LA is more be open be relaxed meet new people talk smile go out for walk runs hikes you know what I mean right different vibe Right. And there's just so much out there for everybody, even here in the little microcosm that is Los Angeles. Uh, So do you come out to the U.S. pretty often? I think I come out whenever I can. I mean, my last trip was the first time I was in the States alone. And I'm glad that I stayed in L.A. for most Mm -hmm. of it because I consider that, you know, the closest thing I had to like a home away from home in the States because I've been going there since I was a kid. And I've been staying with, you know, my family friends. I usually go with my dad or my mom or a family member, but this was the first time I went alone. Um, but I've been to kind of over the years, I've done little trips here and there. I think the first time I went to California, I think I was about 10 or 11. And we did mm-hmm. like a California road trip with my family. And then we did like another East Coast trip a few years later. And then me and my dad, I think I was about 18 and I just finished high school. And uh, me and my dad did a little road trip around Florida around Florida and we did like the Keys and you know Miami and like Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff so I feel like I've seen a few different sides to the states but LA is definitely where I feel the most kind of comfortable you know it's definitely my number one place to go it's yeah it's the most familiar gotcha so where else would you say is on your travel bucket list it's a bit random but I think a place that I really want to see for some reason is Bali I think because it's so spiritual and holistic which is a big part of me and my personality you know I love doing Mm -hmm. yoga I love meditation I'm also you know super into astrology and tarot so any kind of area Mm -hmm. that has a sort of holistic feel to it I'm down to explore so I think Bali is a big one also India I'd love to see India and um let me think where else I think I'd also like I'm quite intrigued to see a bit of Scandinavia for some reason Mm -hmm. like I'd love to go and see it in you know the snow and like well, speaking of, I'd love to see um, Canada as well. There's a bunch of places. Mm-hmm. I'm just rambling. Yeah. So many places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. A ton of places on my list as well. I was actually supposed to go to Amsterdam um, for, the, uh, for the first time uh, last week or the week before. But, you know, all the no, my mom coronavirus stuff. There. My mom's friend lives over there. I was there in um, January for a few days. That was fun. Yeah, it's a great place. On the subject of coronavirus and isolation are there any shows that you're currently binging um I've been I feel like I'm a bit of a rewatcher rather than mm-hmm. a yeah like, same here that I, watched, <laughs> yeah, that I watched ages ago I loved um I love atypical from Netflix I really enjoyed that oh, um, I don't think I've seen that one yeah it's great um and it, it's one of these shows where it's just very kind of therapeutic and a soft kind of show to watch if that makes sense because it's about mm-hmm. just this um, autistic kid going through high school and just battling mm-hmm. every day. But he's this really funny guy. And it's just about him and his family just getting through day to day life. And it's just very kind of sweet and just soft. And kind of, it just a lot of it just puts your faith back in humanity a little bit, you know, and I love shows that kind of do that. I want to pivot a little bit into your background more in music as well as in business sure. uh, in the music industry. So when or how did you discover that you could sing? I think the earliest memories I have of like singing and loving it, I think I was a kid and my family would have these like get togethers or lunches during the summer. And I would be that one kid that would be like, I want to put on a show. I'm going to do a show, (laughs) you know, like singing and dancing and, you know, bless their hearts for enduring all of that, like in all of my madness. And I'd just be like, you know, (laughs) you'll sit here and you'll watch me sing and dance and act crazy. And that would be my like, big thing that I just love doing 
you know, and I used to, I used to be such a big fan of um, the Black Eyed Peas growing up. And mm. I remember, and also Nelly Furtado, I loved her. And so I'd always, you know, force my family members to just watch me sing and like give me feedback on it. Yeah, so I think that's like the earliest memories where I was like, you know, this is my thing. Like, I just, I, I really enjoy this. But I think as a kid, it didn't click that I actually wanted to do it as a career for quite mm. a while. You know, as a kid, I think my main sort of like childhood dream was I wanted to be like a zoologist and I wanted to work with animals. But oh, I, wow. yeah, I didn't think I realized that, oh, you can actually do music for a career. And there's a load of different ways you can actually do that until mm. I, I'd say in my teens. So are you only a singer? Or do you also dance and play instruments as well? Um, I used to play piano growing up, but and then mm. I got this really mean teacher. I had to change teachers. <laughs> I remember I had this really sweet teacher at first from Germany. I used to go around her house, and it was this old Victorian house. It was beautiful. And she was like, she was amazing, mm. and I loved her so much. And then I moved back to Germany at one point, and so my mom had to get me a new teacher. And I remember the second teacher was so mean, and she just put me right off it. So um, I think... I, I'm trying to get back into it, actually, especially during the whole lockdown situation, because I just have the piano just sitting mm. there, you know, from my childhood lessons. So I'm trying to get back into it so I can play basic piano. And um, as for dancing, I'm such a shy dancer now. I don't know what happened. I missed my childhood in the way that I just didn't give a flying F what anyone thought. What would you say is your first gig or performance? I think the first gig that I can actually remember well was, I think I was 16 and I was going mm. through a, a total punk phase. <laughs> had like jet black hair and I'd wear like band t-shirts all the yeah. time. Yeah, and, me uh, too, me too. Oh yeah, we went through <laughs> it, we went through it. Um, and uh, I had to perform at this, I went to this like social kind of youth club thing. Um, I think it was on the weekend, I think, I can't remember. I remember me and my best friend used to go and they used to put on little shows. It was like a legitimate like music club, but it was for kids 18 and under. So we, there was a lot of kids from like local, you know, schools and stuff that would kind of just hang mm. out and jam around together. And I think we they put on like a show at a local kind of uh, small music festival um, in my neighborhood. And I think that that's the like first time I remember performing properly. And I had to sing like a song that I hate. I mean, it's a really famous song. I had to sing um, Funky Town, which I hated. But mm. <laughs> and I was so nervous and it was such a cheesy song. It was like an 80s sort of themed music festival, like 80s. Yeah. And yeah, it was, I was so awkward. But yeah, I think that's the first time I remember doing a proper gig. What would you say are your biggest musical influences? Um, Definitely Lana Del Rey, uh, like you mm. said. I think, you know, I mentioned this, I think, to you on our previous first call, but I remember she was kind of the singer that made me realize, you know, you can actually work a deeper sounding voice, like an alto voice. Mm. I mean, you know, you listen to her speak and her actual speaking voice is really high pitched and it's really angelic. And then as soon as she sings, there's like this kind of demure, sultry tone that comes out, but it sounds absolutely incredible. And I think she was the first person that made me think, oh, just because I'm a girl, I don't have to sing really squeaky and high all the time I can actually work different octaves and I think she just opened mm -hmm. up a whole new sort of vibe of, of singing so she's huge for me and also um Hayley Kiyoko is a big deal because you know she's the first I think that I know of she's the first you know out and lesbian singer in the past few mm -hmm. years who has hit you know the top 
40 charts and has hit mainstream pop. You know, that song she did with Kalani. And I'm I'm so proud that there's an actual lesbian, especially a femme lesbian. I, I'd consider her mm. a lesbian like myself, you know, who's very girly and not, I guess, stereotypically, you know, quote unquote, looking gay, you know, like people would say. And it, mm. she is representing our community and she's doing an amazing job of it. She's showing that, you know, stereotypes aren't just one box. A gay person can look any a hundred different looks and ways. You know what I mean? We don't just fit into one category. And they right. do mainstream pop just as well as a cis hetero person can, you know? It's always amazing to have those inspirations that pave the way. I know that is something that's important to you and your music. Do you have any tips for new artists? Um, I think just working with people and collaborating with people that have a similar sound to you. And I think also knowing Mm -hmm. what you want to go for is such a big deal. I think I had so many, I did actually record, I think the first song I full on recorded in an actual studio, I believe I was around 16 or 17. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was such a cheesy pop song, but I wrote it. And I think I was just a bit lost, you know, I, I remember sitting in the studio and I was like, you know, well, what do you want to go for? And I was like, well, I, I, I don't really know. I kind of want to sound like this person. I kind of want to sound like this person. Mm-hmm. And I, then the next time I was in the studio properly, when I recorded my EP, you know, just over, I think it was around two years ago now, I was so clear. I was like, this is my sound. This is what I want to go for. I want it to be dreamy. I want it to be nightlike. And so I think just mm-hmm. being very clear on what your vibe is, what kind of atmosphere you want to put out is such a big deal. And also just writing lyrics out of what you feel and also you know make sure the lyrics are catchy make sure they're good and if not there are a million people online that can help out a million we're so lucky to be in like a world today where there's literally a bajillion tutorials on youtube for anything Mm. you know so i think just educate yourself and also don't get ripped off i think people get ripped off so easily i remember i Mm. shut out hundreds and hundreds of pounds for that first track that i don't even like or use anymore i don't even listen to it you know what i mean it Mm -hmm. was an experience for me But I think just be careful who you give your money to, you know, it's annoying because I feel like so many in in the music industry or in any creative industry, you're going to get screwed over at least once, I feel like, and it's the Mm -hmm. unfortunate truth of it. But I think just, I'd say to people starting out in my sort of position, just kind of look out, you know what I mean? For people who are going to take advantage of you. Exactly. Know what your brand is, know who your audience is. Even then, it takes a lot of work to really understand those things. It takes some experimentation. And sometimes in the process of experimentation, you do, you do get screwed over. Tell me a little bit about your process. What are some of the things that give you energy or inspiration to write your music? I think a weird thing that I think not a lot of people talk about in interviews, at least that I've seen, is um, mm. actually just watching other artists talk about their work just chat about mm-hmm. it like, I think I watch more or just as many interviews of artists that I like just as much as I listen to their music I like you know I remember I spent a whole afternoon once and I was watching um you know Ariana Grande's like tour diaries because I love just seeing the behind the scenes I loved seeing mm-hmm. like and I loved seeing her just sitting on her bed and having a chat with her mates about the album and I like that because it just shows you you know what they're up to and how they're doing it. And, you know, it, it just shows you that everyone has a creative process. And I think seeing, uh, it's a domino effect. Seeing other people talk about their creative process is a domino effect of my creative process. I'm like, yeah, I want to get creating now. They're doing it. I want to do it, you know? It's a good, mm. it gets you in that sort of, um, you know, ready to create mindset. How much time would you say you spend writing music versus, say, building your brand? 
I'll have like phases. It's it's sort of like little chunks of time. Like I remember when I was in LA, for example, I, I think I wrote like every day I was there because I was constantly meeting new people that I was being inspired by and new personalities. And I was going to new places and, you know, mm. I was getting all this sort of information into my brain. And um, I think because of that, I was on like a creative sort of flow just all the time. And I was always writing and you know, I was always on the go with that. But then, you know, I think in the last few recent weeks, even though I've been doing projects, I think mentally I've been more on the kind of marketing and trying to brand side of things and network more mm-hmm. so because my release has just come out. So I'm just on that kind of go, 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 more technical side of things and sending mm-hmm. out the emails and messaging the blogs and, you know, everything like that. But, you know, I've also, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, I was in more of the creative mood. So I think it goes in and out of the two different kind of sides. Yeah, it's a careful balance between not only creating the content or creating the music, but it's also once it's created, it's getting it out into the marketplace and advertising it. And even then, it's not as simple as, say, just reaching out to different people. You have to be a little strategic about it. So it's like planning for the planning. You mentioned your latest release. Tell me about your, your newest single, Young God. Um, well, that song was one I did write when I was in LA. And it's basically, mm-hmm. all the lyrics are pretty much like a collection of little like images that I sort of remember and little moments that I mm-hmm. sort of felt when I was there when I kind of thought to myself, oh my God, like I'm really here, what the hell? <laughs> you know, by myself, doing my music, meeting new people, this is so crazy. And so um, I wrote it in the studio at the Hollywood Musicians Institute with the producer Max Harrell. And he works there. He's a studio engineer. And I got introduced to him via a person I was on a retreat with. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was on a music retreat in Nashville just before I went to LA for a week. I was invited by um, ex-Warner Chapel senior VP um, Judy Stakey. And she runs these songwriting retreats. She does them in California too, but I just wanted to go to the Nashville one because I was like, you know what? I've never been to Nashville. I've seen Florida, but I haven't seen any where else in the south so I'm just going to do this and then I can hop over to LA after and um when I was there I met one of Judy's friends and you know mentorees that she works with uh Corey Shaw who's an artist great guy and I was talking to him about how I was heading to LA and if he knew anyone you know he could you know hook me up with to make friends you know meet people meet musicians and he said oh yeah you know hit up my friend Max he's a really nice producer and I met him once I was in LA and then we just we got working together and it was really nice and we were both bonding over how neither of us were from LA because he's um, Aussie and I was obviously a Brit. So we were kind of just bonding over mm-hmm. how surreal it's because he's lived there for quite a while now, but even he kind of understood my little kind of surreal thing that I was going through. I was like, dude, I'm really hit. Like I'm not from here. This place is so different. It is so wild. Just mm-hmm. It's so surreal. And so the song is just made up of little moments that, you know, I kind of remember like, uh, you know, the first few lines like bottles on the floor the party's a little loud you know and I remember thinking that on Halloween and I was out in like West Hollywood for the first time and there was you know bottles everywhere and it was this crazy party going on I think I was at mm. Rockwell's I believe in West Hollywood and um oh wow yeah I remember thinking this is so weird I'm in Rockwell's in West Hollywood with my new friends well not new friends I already knew one of them but you know what I mean I was meeting new people and mm. I remember thinking like I've just got to write about this moment and how crazy this feels and it sort of snowballed from there no it's awesome i was actually in west hollywood for halloween didn't swing by rocco's but where are you 
So I made a mistake this past Halloween. Unfortunately, we showed up a little later thinking, you know, they have the daytime stuff and then the evening things are going to be a lot more fun. We show up, every single club has a huge line. So I mistakenly thought it would be similar to the Halloween on the East Coast. And I was <laughs> sorely mistaken. It was so yeah. strict and very like, okay, this is that line, this is that line, you know, security guards everywhere. And then at the end, yeah. like one or something, you know, quite early considering it's Halloween, the police were like, out you're going you're going home you know it was was a lot of fun definitely inexperienced so I kind of had a similar surreal moment you know my first Halloween and in LA I was like wow like I'm here I have all my new friends it's a lot of fun so your song definitely touches on those nostalgic Mm -hmm. notes for me I want to pivot a little bit into your sexuality and the reason I want to do that is because you know this being the gay pro I really have an interest in seeing how sexuality intersects with all the different things we do, especially business in our careers. So how would you say that sexuality has influenced your music? I've I've made it sort of a point up until I'd say around just end of last year to write in mm-hmm. sort of general neutral kind of form and pronouns so that my music can be open mm-hmm. to everyone. I mean, you know, uh, Lynn Gunn, she's an amazing singer and she's out as gay. And, you know, her all her songs are, you know, pronouns are completely neutral. You know, she's she always speaks in sort of like a, you know, second person, you know, she's always saying you, mm-hmm. you're this, you're that, I'm this, you're that, you know, and I liked that. And I think at the start, that was sort of my aim was to just be completely neutral. But I think over time, I sort of got a bit fed up of always being just assumed that I was straight because I'm, you know, a femme lesbian. And when I was, you know, speaking to say producers and that, and they'd always say, you know, oh, is this about a boy? And it's like, why do you have to assume it's about a man if I'm a woman? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was getting to a point, it's like, no, I need some sort of track that literally shows, hello, like I am a queer woman. I am a woman of the LGBT community. You know, I don't want to stand on sort of neutral ground anymore. There's nothing wrong with standing on neutral ground, but I think I got a little mm-hmm. bit of it towards the end of the year, uh, end of 2019. And um, so I wrote this song, called um elena or oh elena which will be coming out hopefully this year once i finish up the production on it with a friend of mine Mm -hmm. and um in that one i literally you know the hook is literally elena 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 i mean i'm talking about a previous relationship i changed the name on purpose of course Mm -hmm. (laughs) for obvious reasons i didn't actually date an elena but i just thought elena was like a nice catchy name to you know kind of hook in the song but you know i wanted to you know clearly write about a woman you know I wanted people to see this is about a woman I'm a queer artist and I think just letting you know my PR team who initially reached out to you guys I told them I want to focus on LGBT you know podcasts and blogs etc like mm-hmm. I want to be very much pushing the fact that I'm a part of this community you know and I'm not just going to kind of blend into background so the majority of the mainstream community can assume I'm straight all the time you know Yeah, I think that's a really great initiative to be pushing forward because like you mentioned, it's great to stand on neutral ground. It's definitely a lot more marketable, at least to a mass audience. However, it's really about finding your niche and finding that audience that will support you the most. And I think what better group to do that than the queer community. And I feel like having that representation is something critically important, especially in today's political environment. Being that representation, I think, is excellent. I applaud you for for taking that shift over into more overt pronoun usage to really show other listeners like, hey, you know, this is a demure feminine artist that I identify with who is a lesbian. I think that's incredible. So are there any other queer artists or leaders that you look to as inspiration? 
Mm, I think, like I said, Harry Kirko is a big one. Um, I also mm-hmm. look up people, obviously, like Halsey, who's written, you know, songs with female pronouns in the past. And I was really happy mm. when her and uh, Lauren Deruji, who's also out as, you know, a queer woman and she's a singer, did a track together. I was like, yes. I was like, come on. Like, people in our community need to stick together and, like, you know, mm. work together and act together. And, you know, I was really proud of that. And I think a lot of people... um you know, in mainstream pop, you know, a lot more queer artists are becoming a bigger part of the mainstream. You know, people like Sam Smith, even they're really big. They're doing their songs. Halsey's doing her songs. You know, they're all doing amazing. So I'm, I'm actually just proud in general that so many amazing queer artists are just coming more into the spotlight. Yeah, I think that's excellent, especially with Sam Smith, them coming out as non-binary. I think those are really important facets of representation that the community so desperately needs. What's your coming out story? Um, I was one of those people in the closet that as soon as I realized I needed to come out, I came out. <laughs> I was very much like, a, I think mm-hmm. I've always been quite a self-aware person, even as a kid. So um, when I sort of figured it out, which was, I think... All my friends always, you know, kind of gushed over boys. I was about 14 and I remember they would always gush over guys that they had crushes on. You know, there was a few that we knew. I mean, it was an all-girls school, but there was always a friend of a friend mm-hmm. who knew a boy, you know how it is. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, they'd be gushing over, you know, oh, I like this boy, I like this boy. And I'd sort of just be quiet. I didn't really understand what the gushing over was about. I didn't really understand what the kind of, you know, fangirling was over. I didn't. It's not that I was just like, oh, I don't feel anything. I was like, well, they're cute. But, like, I don't get why everyone's kind of screaming and raving about it. And I, mm. I didn't really kind of understand, you know, what that meant, really, at the time. And I remember it was so funny. I remember I was at lunch in the lunchroom, like, in the cafeteria at school. And I remember I was in the midst of, you know, my punk phase. I think it was, like, kind of the beginning of it. And I was listening to, like, mm. Joan Jett and The Runaways and The Stooges and The Cure, you know, all this very, like, you know, angsty teen music. And I remember one of my friends said, oh, it'd be funny if you were like bi or gay or something, you know, you, you never like gush over boys like we do. And she laughed. And I kind of, that was kind of my light bulb moment. I was like, wait a minute, you actually might have a point. And I remember <laughs> one time when I was thinking, I know why I'm so obsessed with listening to Joan Jett, because that was the only person at the time I would be like gushing over. And I was like, mm-hmm. wait, is this what a crush feels like? And it was that light bulb, like putting two and two together kind of moment of, oh, I have a celebrity crush and this is what that feels like. You know, yeah. I think after that, it was sort of a snowball effect of, oh, I actually, I actually like this girl too. I think there was like an, an out lesbian in the year above. Who like anytime she'd pass me, I'd be like, you know, my palms would get sweaty and like my heart would beat really fast. And like, I didn't know mm-hmm. what was happening. And then when I kind of put the two and two together, I was like, wait, I have a crush on her. So it was sort of a, oh, kind of moment, you know, like a right. But it went off. And I think as soon as I realized it, I told my mom, I told my friends, I was like, hey, you guys were right. And they were like, oh, okay. You know, I was I was really lucky to be so easily accepted. And my mom was one of those parents that claimed like, oh, I knew the whole time. You know, <laughs> she was one of those parents, you know. Yeah, so, they always do. <laughs> yeah, there's always one, you know. So I was, I was really lucky with mine. And I think I was lucky I was so confident and clear about it because I know, you know, a lot of, um, people in our community, they go through so many years of just self-torture of, you know, don't mm-hmm. do anything, don't let it show type of thing. And I'm so lucky I never had to go through that sort of thing. 
Well, that's fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for getting on the call with me. I loved hearing about your different experiences. Super excited for your new single. You know, make sure to check out Rose's website at rosebatesofficial.com and check out the single on Spotify. Is there anything else you want to say to the audience before we sign off? Um, thank you for listening to me ramble on for quite a few minutes. <laughs> Sorry if the answers were a bit lengthy, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Awesome. Thank you, Rose. Amazing. Thanks for speaking to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. Submit a review, rate five stars, and let me know what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. More so, visit thegaypro.com for a ton more content.